Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to The Visible Artist. My name is Sophie Loxton-Lucas, and this week I'm delighted to bring you a conversation with the artist Ollie Fathers. We chat about the jealous rooftop mural, how Ollie's work was selected by the Soho House team for the collection, his successful foray into the world of AR, technology, and much, much more. I do hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Ollie. Thank you so much for having me in your studio. It's great to be here. Hi, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It's nice <laughs> to have you here. <laughs> when I was looking at all the projects that you've done in recent years, many of which I remember in person, I'm struck by how incredibly impressive your CV is. <laughs> so although I'd love to talk all about the work that I can see in the room and what it's like working here, I think it would be most useful to just jump straight in and start talking about those. And if yeah. we've got time, we can go back. You've worked with Nike, ITV, House of Vans, done commissions for Soho House, been featured on the Jealous Rooftop, took over the storefront of We Built This City in Carnaby Street as part of London Design Festival and just the list goes on, <laughs> on and on. <laughs> so you've been incredibly busy but I think what is particularly impressive about this list is that all the projects are so different mm-hmm. and while sitting in your signature style. So yeah. you're a really versatile artist and there's a lot to talk about today. But perhaps we could start with your recent success with the Concord Art Prize. Yeah. Because um, I saw you there last <laughs> and it was a great show. And perhaps you could tell us more about that. Yeah. So well, thank you, first of all. That's really nice. <laughs> but um, I mean, the Concord Art Prize, when I first saw it being advertised earlier, well, November last year, um, it was a new thing that I hadn't seen before. I saw the judges and I thought it was just a really interesting idea about sort of creating a piece of work based on some music. I looked at the list of the songs and just that one, the Willy Wonka Pure Imagination song just jumped out to me straight away as like the only one I could really work towards. And I've been wanting to make a sculpture like the piece that I made for quite a while. And I felt it was quite relevant to my practice fitting it into to work with that song anyway. Like I wanted to make it feel like you know, when I see that film, I imagine the factory wandering around and being sort of amazed by the things that are going on that don't really make sense. And I wanted to make a sculpture that 
had that same feeling and just having a piece that you could get adults sort of wandering around and getting that sort of childlike feeling of like oh my god what's happening here and the different materials gravity defying stuff going on so that was the sort of driving force for the sculpture and the fact that the prize you know they gave you a bit of money to help make the piece which is obviously a good good incentive and then also just knowing that the piece was going to be shown in such a good venue yeah it just was it just ticked all the right boxes to go for it really pleased that I got accepted and got a chance to make the piece it was a really impressive piece and when you say gravity defying I mean it was on a large scale so it was yeah. <laughs> looking at it walking around the piece it was sort of towering over you and you couldn't really work out how the pieces all fit together and it was very impressive just in terms of its functionality as yeah. well as its aesthetics with this but also with every sort of opportunity i've got like like this i always think i've only got one chance to do it so i want to try and push myself as well as the artwork as far as possible and i felt this piece in particular needed to be on a really big scale for it to have that impact so i thought i'd push myself and yeah i really did because it it really pushed me at the end uh, making the work and there's quite a few challenging bits with, with regards to actually just how to make it work like the bits where they had the squiggle floating in the space you couldn't even see the wire that was holding up that to sort of figure out the tension and everything with that is it was a real challenge of my fabrication skills as well as the creativity <laughs> but it was great to push myself and i was yeah really pleased with the results so when you say it was a challenge on the fabrication side, when you submitted the proposal, did you have a clear idea of what you were doing? And did you know that you could actually do it? Or was <laughs> you working it out um, a bit as you went along? If I'm honest, it actually sort of fell basically throughout one of the lockdowns. A, f- a good friend of mine gave me a little Zoom tutorial on SketchUp, <laughs> which just fell into a really good time because at the time when I had to finish that proposal, I just learned how to do some basic 3D modelling. So I'd actually designed pretty much exactly how I wanted it to look for the proposal. I'd even rendered the materials and I'd actually made it into an AR file as well so I could sort of visualise it in a space. And part of my proposal was me doing a video of the AR sculpture in the studio and explaining about how I wanted people to walk around it and see it from different angles. So I very much knew how I wanted it to look but yeah once it got accepted it was like oh now I've got to figure out how to make this thing I always knew that I could but I perhaps underestimated a few a few things along the way but as I said before it's I really enjoy that challenge of you know having a great idea and then figuring out how to actually make it a physical object yes I think looking at your CV and all the projects you've done it's really clear that you're always looking for the next challenge and not mm. just settling into creating one type of work and then almost reproducing that for lots of different either clients or collectors, which is absolutely fine if that's what you want to do. But I think this is a particularly exciting approach. But for a while I was making like the, my what I call the drip paintings mm. and that was sort of if anyone was to know me for a while it would have been for doing those and I did really like them but... I started making them when I was at university. I graduated in 2010 and then I think I probably was working on them for about six years until I discovered a few different things and a few different processes with regards to the making until I actually got to the point where I made one where it's like this is exactly how I always wanted it to be. So I'd kind of reached that level of refinement that I'd always dreamt of. And I've made several more after that, but it didn't, I no longer had that sort of stimulus to push me to continue doing it because I'd sort of reached that goal. So then it was an encouragement to try and do new things. 
And so what did you do next once you realised that? Uh, I mean, I had been doing other things along at the same time, but I would always wanted to do a few different sculptural pieces because I do like the fabrication, the making side, and a lot of the inspirations are in construction, architecture, design. So for me, playing with tools and building things and playing with materials is an important part of my practice, playing, making sculptures, and then more recently, places with wood veneers, which is... Something I'm really interested in and probably talk a bit more about in a bit. So to go back to the Concord Art Prize, it was a really fantastic opportunity for you to stretch yourself and work on a piece that was a large scale and you had the costs to cover that, which is quite unusual for an artist. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the whole costs. <laughs> I rinsed that budget quite quickly just because <laughs> when I've had the chance to do sort of big opportunities like this, it's always been the sort of time where I feel like if I'm going to invest in myself, it's the perfect opportunity and I'd encourage anybody else to do that as well. Making a piece like this, I know there's not the best chance of it selling, but it's just so good to have it on your CV. I've been sort of dying to make a piece like this for such a long time because it references a lot of the 2D works that I make anyway. And it's been a chance to sort of just bring some of those to life. When I'm making the, 3D, the 2D pieces, I'm often thinking of the shapes overlapping in a sort of 3D format. So... It was a really fun, amazing opportunity to actually create one of these pieces and know it was going to be in a really good exhibition seen by a lot of people. So I just sort of thought, right, if I'm going to invest in something, now's the time to just sort of go organs blazing at this sculpture. It was really magnificent in the exhibition. It really stood out in the centre of the room. You couldn't <laughs> ignore it. <laughs> yeah, well, that was what I was hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good tip, I think, just to make something that, the, the biggest piece. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I've done it before, yeah. The yeah. opportunity to just make the thing that sticks out the most. Yeah, I think you can see that when you go to some of the gallery art fairs that some of the galleries have just decided that they're going to have the biggest installation, biggest sculpture, and try and get as many people as possible to take photos of it for social media, which isn't necessarily the best approach, but it's quite effective, I think. It's not always for social media or for the photos, but even when I've done the other art fair in the past... My sort of the last few times my approach has been to have a large piece because it's, it's such a big fair with lots of stuff going on and loads of people with really busy stands. I think to stand out for me, it's always been best to just have a sort of large focal piece. If you do have somebody who's a curator or looking to put some shows on, I'd rather be sort of getting my idea across in that way than just trying to look like I'm trying to make loads of money like not loads of money but just trying to do it for the sort of commercial quick sales i know that lots of artists do take that approach and that they create standout pieces kind of going on to the fair now the other art fair when i look back at all the fairs and all the artists have worked with across the us and the uk and australia your booth really stands out in my mind <laughs> <laughs> i think you did that took that to the extreme in a good way that you really maximize the space without overdoing it by just putting up a really standout piece on its own it was really brave you know I wanted to stand out but also just wanted to showcase me at my best and the best of my work so I thought you know I want to try and get a massive piece in there if this is your chance to show my work to people I'd rather than see the best of it rather than just a collection of smaller pieces and I think for those works that I was showing at the art fair they look good on a, on a sort of small to medium scale but referencing people moving around cities and really built up mm. environments so it's so much more effective on a large scale. If I'm going to see people viewing it, I want them to see it at its best and it just works best on that scale. So it also just happened to take over my whole booth and stand <laughs> out really well. But 
that's how that's when the pieces are at their most effective at that size yes I mean it was certainly effective did you have a moment before the fair where you I I think it just feels like quite a brave approach (laughs) did you have a moment the night before where you're thinking hang on should I just put up lots of prints and try and cover my costs of the booth Mm, no I mean I'd already I'd already sort of decided that I might not make any money if I've done the other fair I've never sort of done it needing the money back as far as I'm gone that money's been paid for about three months before the fair (laughs) so that's gone (laughs) obviously if someone comes and buys it or it has interest in other works from it and that's amazing but it's been more about getting me and my name and my ideas out there in the past I tried to do a little print next to it but Mm. every time I've tried to do something like that to make a bit of money it's never really worked that well (laughs) (laughs) so I think I'm best just doing yeah just sticking with the big pieces and good things generally come at some point it might not be straight away but people remember you for those and remember me for having making the, making those work so it, it pays off in the end just maybe not straight away yes, it certainly pays off because as i said it sticks in my mind your booth <laughs> out of hundreds of artists but also you've done so many great large-scale projects since and i was wondering if any of those came from showing at the fair or whether showcasing a large piece helped you visualize say your mural for the jealous gallery or for we build this city even just making a piece that big i figured out so many things along the way with regards to the making like making them in modular pieces having drips flowing from one panel to another and how to actually make that work so just by making a piece on that scale it meant the next time that i try and do it it's far less intimidating (laughs) You know, when that we built this city opportunity came, it was me kind of pitching to them that I wanted to do it. They didn't say, could you do a drip painting around here? They said, mm-hmm. oh, would you be interested in doing the shop front? And I thought, actually, yeah, I can do this. I've, I've known now I can do these modular panels. I've done it before. By having pushed myself at that time, it meant that the next time it was less intimidating and it could be adapted to fit. And then the more that I've done, people, I think, then have faith in you that you can deliver on a larger scale. Yes. Which is just forever proving helpful that you've got previous examples and I've made several proposals that haven't been accepted but even just getting the proposal together and getting the presentation or pdfs or files or pictures or whatever ready all this helps for the next ones yes (laughs) so I think that mentality has just been really helpful it's definitely um it makes them less intimidating I've been surprised since working with the fair and working with sponsors we've worked with large companies they often aren't looking for something completely new and original. They are looking for ideas of what they could then translate to their own projects. So to have examples of past, have a good portfolio of examples is really useful. Yeah. You can, as you say, be proactive and propose ideas to them. Lots of people don't realise, you know, when you scale things up, as I I said before, they don't necessarily creatively get that much more challenging like you're still figuring out the same sort of compositions and the same sort of overall image but there's so many other factors to think about you know just scaling something up 10 times the size of what you've done before you've got to figure out about the extra weight how it fits on the wall the extra costs getting it there getting it back just all the everything takes way longer so it's just planning out the actual production (laughs) which is quite a boring side of it but at the same time it is quite important i think can put a lot of people off and for both the Jealous Project and We Built the City, were you quite free to use your creative ideas and put something together of your own your own work, or did they give you quite a strict brief? Both were 
different, but they were both, I um, mean, the Jealous one in particular, they didn't really have any input at all. They just um, said, yeah, you know, they're such laid back guys there. It's really, <laughs> yeah. a really fun place. And I mean, the way that came about was I just met one of the guys at an opening and just, I basically just said, how do I get to paint your roof? And he just <laughs> said, come and have a look and um, we'll have a chat. And then, you know, it just led from that basically. But they're just really relaxed guys. So I just worked on a design. I wanted to make sure that it was good for me and made the most of the opportunity. But so that was amazing just to have that sort of creative freedom. And then the We Built the City one, I think we'd spoke beforehand about me doing a drip painting, but I really wanted it to resemble the nightlife in Soho. So I wanted it to be a dark piece with bright colours, so it was referencing the bright lights and the nightlife. And they liked that idea, so yeah, they were just happy to go with that. That's interesting about the Jealous Commission, because it's so much about meeting people and just chatting to them. I mean... That rooftop mural is a really iconic spot to, to, to work on. It's amazing that you got that through just approaching them and talking to them. Yeah, I think, if I'm honest, a lot of my opportunities have just come from asking people questions, whether it's face-to-face or through email. Anybody who is in these spaces, I think you find once you actually meet them, everyone's just normal people like we all are. And the worst case you're going to get when you ask somebody if you could do something is they probably just won't reply. <laughs> And if they say no, they're not going to give you any abuse about it. So I've found over the years, even I think I sort of first started doing it when I was at university, I got given a list of artists to look at, one of which was an artist called Danny Rolfe. And I basically just looked at his website, saw he had a contact me section and just emailed him asking if he ever needed a hand in his studio. And he got back and it was just really good timing that he did. I met up with him and ended up basically being his assistant for two years just from that. But that was just a sort of like the first kind of experience of being like, oh, actually, yeah, these artists are approachable. Yeah. And it's the same with, I think, a lot of spaces or gallery owners. You realise if you get to know them a little bit, everyone's really approachable and really friendly and you're not going to get anyone being rude to you. The worst you're going to get is somebody just ignore you. <laughs> yeah. Which has happened lo- loads of times <laughs> as well. <laughs> and I think usually people are ignoring other people because they're too busy to exactly, yeah. think about it at that moment. I know that I've had emails come through and it's not a def it's not a definite no it's something that's interesting but because i'm not quite sure what to do with it at that moment it just sits in my inbox and i think i must get around to this yeah. it's always more encouraging if you don't hear because it's pending <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so i've you know I've, I've been emailed about a few things as well and that's happened the reverse as well so you know i think it's best i think as an artist you've got to learn quite quickly to not try and get too held up and get offended by anything except mm. that you're not going to be able to get all opportunities. I try and grow a thick skin quite quickly. <laughs> and you're really inventive with your practice. It's always exciting to see what you'll do <laughs> next. <laughs> and you're always exploring ways to be playful so vis- viewers can actually interact with your work. Mm-hmm. Could you tell me more about your recent augmented reality project? I was looking yeah. at some of the photos on <laughs> your website and I saw that people had taken the sculpture to, I mean, I think maybe one in, is it the V&A sculpture room and then inside their microwave it just seemed <laughs> it seemed really fun yeah Quite so <laughs> I mean that was a kind of slightly mental time that was earlier this year and basically it was shortly after I'd learned the SketchUp and the 3D modeling and rendering and about how to make those files into augmented reality it was around the same sort of time that very early on the whole NFT world sort of started to emerge yeah. 
And me and a friend, another artist called James Hardy, we basically got quite immersed quite quickly into the the social media app Clubhouse, which was basically, I don't know if you used Clubhouse, (laughs) basically I got kind of addicted to that (laughs) and just trying to learn about NFTs and just not that I'm massively into them now, but I just found it fascinating. It was really, like with most things, if I don't know about it, I'm just sort of desperate to sort of figure things out or like, you know, don't want to get FOMO. So I was just sort of (laughs) intrigued. It became quite addictive. So without going into NFTs too much, I just wanted to try and figure out what, what they're about and how and if I could use them within my practice and if it was relevant, if it was going to add anything. Uh, the whole time I was trying to think, what could I make that was an NFT that's not sort of just trying to do it to try and make some money and if it could actually expand my practice. And after a few different ideas, what I basically came up with is that I wanted to make a augmented reality sculpture and I realised that I could make it so that it, I could send it quite easily to anybody that had a smartphone. So it had to be an iPhone, so it did I said a few people, but I could send it or people could download it quite easily and it could just pop up on their phone anywhere in the world. So I basically set up this little competition to win the original file as an NFT. And what they had to do in return was just send me an image back of the sculpture in the most sort of creative place. And it was just such a fun thing seeing people suddenly popping up from all over the place. <laughs> I was getting them, I got some from... I think one from Chile, several from America, one was from the Van Gogh Museum in, in Holland, just all over the place. And people were just getting really crazily creative, like the one from the microwave. That was <laughs> yeah. a guy from Miami I've never met. I think he just heard me talking about it on Clubhouse. <laughs> okay, and he just yeah. sent a few random, I mean, one was from like an amazing sort of penthouse apartment, but the microwave one just stuck out even more. <laughs> but I think I ended up having over a hundred different photos and videos of people just playing with the sculpture and just sending them back to me. And it was just a really fun project. I think by the time it had finished, I actually completely lost interest in NFTs and it was more just purely about people having fun with it and actually changed the prize and actually said the winner would get a small physical artwork. So I thought at that point I was more interested in people just having fun with the AR technology rather than anything to do with the NFTs. So I thought by making the prize a physical artwork, it would get more engagement, which did help. Yeah, it was just brilliant. Loads of people got back to me saying how much fun they had playing with it. And I think because obviously people had not long come out of lockdown, some people were really going to town, like exploring, going to the coast, not particularly to the specifically to it, but they live near the coast. They yeah. were actually really searching to try and find fun, creative spaces to play with it. So I'm really pleased that it sort of happened. I mean, it sort of passed quite quickly and I haven't read anything more like that for a while. But yeah, it was a sort of completely random <laughs> tangent of my practice but yeah really sort of fun fun thing to do (laughs) it's quite it's quite funny really that you have that side of it because sitting in your studio and looking around it's quite a traditional space and you're working (laughs) in really beautiful these beautiful wood veneers and but it seems like you're able to balance creating beautiful more traditional 2d pieces with using clubhouse to find someone in Miami to post an AR <laughs> related picture and project. Yeah, I think, as I said, it's just a sort of, I think, you know, the fact that I've got lots of different bits, styles of work going on, even though they correlate, I don't really want to be or like to be tied down with one particular thing. And it's just, I think it's just a sort of desire to continue having fun and create, mm-hmm. um, maintain a sort of playful side to the practice and to keep it stimulating for me as well. And, you know, I think it comes a lot comes with a bit of scepticism, the sort of NFT and digital side of things. But I think 
I was sort of happy to sort of embrace it and try and learn about it rather than just, you know, be negative about it and just try and figure out what the buzz is about and sort of embrace the technology. And whether I do anything more with that, just having learned about the augmented reality thing, about how you can sort of market a project through different places is undoubtedly going to benefit me in different ways in the future. Even if it's just helping with a proposal for something else, mm. having learned those things, it's, I think any time you do something like that, it's always going to benefit you in the long run in a different way that you probably would never expect. <laughs> I think having such a diverse portfolio means that you have the potential to apply for all sorts of prizes and residencies and opportunities, kind of keeping all of your options open. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, there is, at the moment, I do actually... Having said that, I do want to really focus on the more recent series of wood veneers that I'm, I am making. I am going to try and stop getting too distracted because it is quite... <laughs> the only thing is it can be sort of uh, slightly less effective at my productivity to sort of finishing a particular series of things. So what are you working on at the moment? Now the sculpture's out of the way because that was a big chunk of my time and it took a lot of energy to make that. I really want to focus on a series of wood veneer works, which I have been making for a while using marketry techniques. And I've actually got a commission to make four pieces for the entrance to uh, a building in London somewhere. Um, I'm not sure if I'm meant to say what it is, so I'll just leave it there. But that's through... A secret for now. (laughs) Yeah, but that's through a creative debut. I don't know if you've heard of those, but a guy called Callum who set that up. It's through him, which has been really great. We've been looking to work together for a while and eventually he had this client come along and my work sort of fits the direction they're going so yeah getting to make two really large pieces that are going to be two meters by one meter and then two 75 centimeter by 75 centimeter pieces which are going to be quite minimal compositions which i really want to try and explore with the veneers anyway so that's mainly what i'm focusing on now and working on with the veneers at that size is sort of pushing basically the way that i make them is using once I've cut them all out and glued them down, the way that I get the pressure is by putting it inside like a huge vacuum bag <laughs> and that sucks all the air out. And I still can't fully understand it, but basically what happens is you get the atmospheric pressure going on top, so it works at around three tonnes a square foot. Okay. <laughs> so you get like incredible pressure. So that's how I get really even um, pressure and gluing of the surface. Anyway, the limit of that bag is basically around two metres long, so it would be good to sort of push the sort of capabilities of what I can make in that work. And I've just been and bought a bunch of new veneers and looking forward to playing with those. You have a veneer person, don't you? A veneer <laughs> shop. Um, very... Well, there's, there's several different ones, but there's one particular that I've been going to in East London near Galleons Reach, which is like the very, very end of the DLR line. Yeah, it's just this massive warehouse where they, I mean, they normally supply veneers to people who are making you know, doors, furniture. So it's much more commercial uh, reasons so I think the people in there find it quite strange when I'm coming because most people just order like in bulk online of just like we went five grand's worth of veneer um, oak veneers whereas I'll come in and be walking around with the guy saying oh what's this how much, <laughs> how much did that cost oh where's this one from and it's you know I think they kind of like it I'm not yeah. really sure but it's just there's so many different ones in there so it's just like going into Aladdin's cave mm. of different colours wood grains it's such an amazing material that I'm really enjoying working with and it's is really good for me because a lot of the inspiration for the works is architecture and design and even though the veneers are only sort of actually the average one is like 0.6 millimeters thick you still have to cut them out like sort of join I glue them together side by side so even though it's incredibly thin they're still sort of slotted together and I basically feel like I'm still building them yeah yeah <laughs> whereas 
you know, I could do the similar sort of compositions as a painting, but it's such a, it makes so much more sense to me that I'm building and sort of, I feel like I'm constructing these pieces. It's a real sort of perfect material for me at the moment. And I've definitely got much more scope to explore the wood veneer pieces. Well, looking around your studio, you have some wood veneer pieces here, some finished, some in process. And yeah, they look absolutely beautiful. So perfect the way you've put pieces together. You wouldn't guess that you're building. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> it's thank very you. Impressive. I've been doing it for about two years, and it's been kind of it has been mainly self-taught. But I've read quite a lot of books about it. Mm. I've actually even I even rang well through via email. I ended up ringing up the guy who's the vice president of the UK Marquetry Society, <laughs> <laughs> a guy called Quentin Smith, who's much more the Marquetry Society are much more akin to making sort of traditional sort of small boxes that you might see at your grandparents' house. <laughs> yes. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. Um, but it was really interesting speaking to him, and I've been trying to sort of figure out things along the way. I've watched hours and hours of YouTube videos, but the main sort of thing has just been trial and error, and, mm. you know, I've, I've got them to a good point now that I'm really pleased with. But, yeah, there's so much more to learn, and just by experimenting with the ones that you can see here and the chance to obviously get commissions to make some as well, which just all helps the development of the process and every time I sort of learn a new thing and they just get better and better so hopefully this time next year they'll be even bigger and even more polished <laughs> yes could you tell me more about your commissions for Soho House were those so, veneer pieces as well yeah so I know with the head of collections Kate Bryan and also there was another uh, woman there called Katie Heller who used to work there and she was she actually started working there when she uh, when Kate was on maternity leave got to know both of those and uh, yeah, I got asked to do commission one for Royalty House, which is their Soho Works, and another one for their new house in Tel Aviv, which is both opportunities were amazing yeah. um, for different reasons. But the Tel Aviv one in particular, because I was only after sort of really like researching Tel Aviv a bit more, I didn't realise quite the um, Bauhaus influence in the mm. city. It's incredible. Um, so I wanted to make four pieces that weren't a direct representation, but... Um, referenced some of the buildings so that was really fun exploring and just using little shapes even if it's the sort of curve that you might see on a walkway or some of the circular windows or just loose references like that so that they hopefully people in the city visiting the houses would see some of those references so that was a really fun piece and then the other piece was quite a bit larger but again it was a it's the it was the biggest one that i'd made at the time but it was just the encouragement sort of make you do the bigger bigger piece so yeah it worked really well it just looks really good in the space, so I'm really pleased that, that came about. So are these site-specific pieces for those buildings, or will it will they be moved around within the collection across the houses? At the moment, they are site-specific, but they are just owned by the Soho House collection, so if, for any reason, those buildings closed, they might get moved around or they'd be held until there's a relevant space in the next one. But I haven't actually seen a picture of the ones in Tel Aviv. <laughs> I would really like to. But... Yeah, well, for anyone listening... If you go to the Tel Aviv Soho house, send us a photo. Yeah, yeah please send me some photos. <laughs> I've been to a few of the Soho houses, especially in the US, and I love spotting some of our artists from the fair or other artists that I've worked with. Yeah. It's a treasure trove of work, different types of, like, different sizes and media, and just, yeah, it's surprising how you can spot people, artists you know, once you start looking carefully. It's quite yeah. dark sometimes in there, so yeah. you don't realise until you look carefully behind you. Yeah, no, I mean, I... I got to know the people from Soho House because I sometimes do, or in the past have helped them install their collections. So I've seen 
you know, thousands of the pieces that they've got yeah. probably you know th- across all the sites in london and yeah it's such a range of artworks and you know all different levels of artists as well so yeah it's this one hell of a collection <laughs> <laughs> and were you given a creative brief for those pieces or free to no not really content? i mean i think because they were both commi- like often they would just buy they just ask what works are available and the, you know, in the past they've just bought pieces that existed already but for these they needed particular pieces for the site so gave me sort of rough size but you know they're they're obviously they're always really respectful of the artist and they're never going to try and say we wouldn't need it to be this color or this mm-hmm. you know so yeah it was all very free for me to do what I wanted. And do you have pieces at the moment that in your studio that are available to buy or people to come and view? These pieces on the wall that you were talking about before and um, they're part of a series that I just made because I wanted to experiment making some more minimal compositions so once they're finished they would be available but veneer work-wise I actually don't have that many. A few people have asked and I need to sort of make some more so that when next time they ask, I do. And do you do many studio visits or participate in open studios? Anytime anyone gets in touch, I'd always try and encourage them to come to visit the studio because I much prefer talking to people about the work face-to-face and being able to sort of explore, explain the techniques. I think, you know, it's such a complicated interesting process marquetry and the veneers it's i really enjoy sort of explaining to people how how it's done i think they get a lot more insight into the works and pretty much everything can make that sort of relates to anyway so i'd always try and encourage them to come it's a great studio to visit because there's so much to look at (laughs) (laughs) it's actually very well organized considering how much you have in the space but i can see all sorts of pieces you've got your work with cardboard here and then a mini sculpture here it's got that sort of tipping form that you have in your Concord art installation. Um, and then, as you say, the wood veneer pieces, all sorts, all sorts <laughs> of look at. <laughs> yeah, I like to generally have a few different things going on at the same time. Quite often I have to wait for things to dry or I might just need a bit of a bit of space, headspace before I start doing a different element because... Some of the pieces will require me getting quite a lot of tools out and get quite dusty, which I don't want to do all the time. So I might think, right, I'll leave that for a few days, work on this. And also just going back to the sort of it being semi-tidy, it, <laughs> it kind of, I mean, it's, it's quite messy at the same time. But yeah, it has to be well, relatively well organised. Otherwise, it just, there'd be too much going on. It's such a busy <laughs> space. Well, all of your pieces are so precise and beautifully crafted. And I remember in previously you mentioned that and the artist Fred Sandback and his thread installations at DM Beacon had a really profound effect on you yeah. as an artist. And now, since you said that, I can totally see that in your work. Yeah, I think it was in 2009. We went with a trip from was it Wimbledon College of Art. We went on a trip to New York mm. and went to Deer Beacon. I was just completely blown away by all the work. Yeah. Like all the huge minimalist pieces in there. There's like Richard Sierra sculptures. I think there was Solar Wit in there from my memory but there was a big Fred Sandback installation and I didn't actually know about him before and it was just his thread installation pieces so it's just simple bits of thread that sort of I think was held or sort of pinned into place so you create kind of like doorways and walkways which are just in the middle of a space and it's just a little piece of thread but I'll just never forget the feeling of walking up to it and as I stepped through this kind of little thread door I just literally felt like I was going into a different room and it was just at that point the sort of strength of just such a simple line having that kind of effect on me surprised me really and just made me think the power of a sort of geometric form is so strong within Mm -hmm. our mindset of just 
positioning yourself in a space or you know every time you enter a building it's they always take the form of the geometric entrance generally yeah. so just our reaction to that it just yeah ever since then it's just had a real profound effect and a lasting memory i love dear beacon and i mean the building um, itself yeah. <laughs> and just even the journey obviously you lived in new york yeah. but the journey going from central station to it is amazing yes we went up i think went up on the train and it was awesome or fall as they say and everyone was going up in there going up for apple picking <laughs> it was, it was so, i've never seen so many hipsters on one train oh um, God, yeah, but the, yeah dear beacon is so beautiful and love those sorts of sculpture centers and places so hopefully one day we'll see one of your large-scale installations at God, a sculpture I can, park <laughs> i can hope so yeah that's the, that's the dream yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of my dream to have my own sculpture park so if oh, yeah. get well, to if that you point do. i'll i'll let you know <laughs> yeah. your balance between your beautiful work in your studio and developing your core practice these pieces but also then really experimenting and working on large-scale commissions and, and just pushing the boundaries of what you're trying to do with your works really inspirational and I'm sure lots of artists would be really interested to hear more about it do you have a top tip for an artist that's starting out first of all just don't be afraid to reach out to people even if it's just artists that you like ask if you could maybe pop in and see their studio and visit them because I've done that to quite a few people and it's just really refreshing to actually meet an artist that you really like their work and then you meet them and realize you know it's just another sort of down-to-earth normal person like you are and I think that's always quite just quite reassuring to know (laughs) that's what I found anyway so that as a starting point but also just whenever you get an opportunity just always push yourself to go as far as possible because you'll only regret not doing that I think you're never going to regret going that extra mile to do something bigger and better than you could perhaps even think you can and only good things will ever come from it that's always been my sort of what I've been saying to myself is just bigger is better and just keep going. <laughs> I think that's good advice. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure to be here. I know you're welcome. It's been so nice to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for listening this week. Please do follow Ollie on Instagram at Ollie Fathers and of course the podcast at The Visible Artist Podcast. And as we mentioned in the conversation, if anyone sees Ollie's work in Tel Aviv, please send him a photo. But that's all for this week. Thank you everyone who's written a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts. It means so much. I'm excited to bring you next week's conversation. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.